Thank you so much. Our message today is taken from the epistle of Paul to the church at Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 and following. We will be preaching and teaching from these verses for a reasonable period of time because there's so much here to be learned. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning with verse 23. In fact, I'll read 22 and 23. It says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. I want to speak to you today from the subject, don't get it twisted. Don't get it twisted. You know, Wednesday nights, I have to admit, have always been my favorite hour of the week, especially when it comes to my engagement with Willow Ridge Church family. I love preaching. I love Sunday morning worship. I love our fellowships when we are able to come together and I love the people of God. I love each one of you. I love being with you. I love knowing you personally. I love visiting you in your homes. I love knowing the things that matter to you. But my greatest joy comes on those Wednesday nights when we sit together and open up the word of God and have the opportunity to fellowship with one another, to interact with one another and to engage in fertile and fervent study of God's holy word. On Wednesday night, I believe that we went to a new level as we were very energized in our discussion on the roles, the relationships, and expectations in marriage. And as I further thought about the subject, it occurred to me why our society is so messed up. It's so dysfunctional. And the reason is simply this. We've gotten it twisted. What do you mean, Pastor, we've gotten it twisted? Well, what I mean is we refuse to read the manual. Make no mistake about it. The Bible provides instructions for marriage, for family life. Why won't we read the manual? I was reading an article recently about technical manuals. And interestingly, in the article that I was reading, someone was complaining to a manufacturer that their cup holder would not hold their cup. 
Each time they put the cup in the cup holder, it would fall. It would tilt. It just would not hold as they had hoped that it would. And interestingly, what we discovered was that the person was trying to put the cup in the automobile's CD-ROM holder. And that's not where the cup belongs. So often in life, we enter into situations and relationships having no idea of what we should be doing, how to go about doing it. We just do what we think, do what we feel, do what we think we've seen someone else do when we would have done far better had we read the manual. Now, I want to be very clear and very transparent. I didn't always read the manual. I didn't always read the instructions. There are a lot of things in life that I have done where I simply did what I thought was right, what I thought made sense. And lo and behold, after a long period of time, I discovered that I was doing it the wrong way. Sometimes we have these experiences at home. We wonder why our printer doesn't work when we don't even have it plugged in. We wonder why the cartridges get jammed when they're put into the wrong space on the printer. These are common reasons and common examples of how we sometimes mess up because we simply don't read the manual. Well, why don't we read the manual? Well, we don't, we don't have time. We're in a hurry. Sometimes we're lazy. Sometimes we think we know everything. Sometimes we say, oh, that's just common sense. But what I've discovered is that we would do far better if we would take the time to read the manual. And as a result of not having read the manual, a lot of us have gotten things twisted. What do you mean, Pastor, got it twisted? Well, that's a colloquial expression in the urban dictionary. Don't get it twisted means don't get it wrong. Don't be confused about it. Make no mistake about it. Get it right. And one of the issues that has generated the most spirited discussions and debates that I've ever been a part of is the issue of submission. Specifically, Ephesians 5.22, wives submitting themselves to their own husbands. But I'm going to surprise you today because that's not what I'm going to talk about today. Not in this message. We'll talk about it. But today's message is really not about verse 22. Wives submitting themselves to your husbands. It's not about verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Our message is really about verses 25 and following. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Don't get it twisted. Last Wednesday night, we had a glorious time as we studied the word of God. The study was so good that we forgot all about time. There was so much excitement generated, so many questions, so much healthy and wholesome feedback. 
because we wanted to understand what it is that God is saying. And one of the best ways to understand the scripture is to ask four basic questions when you read a passage of scripture. Number one, what does the text say? Secondly, what does it not say? Thirdly, what does the text mean? And fourthly, what does it not mean? The duty of wives to submit to their husbands in the Lord is one of those verses that we sometimes stumble over because we don't take the time to understand what the text says, what it does not say, what it means, and what it does not mean. But in today's message, it is my hope that we will get a better understanding of what God intends for marriage. Don't get it twisted. Let's look at this text today. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, let me read it again. And I'm going to read beginning with verse 25 from the King James Version. And I'm going to end with verse 33. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth it and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, that every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence or respect is the word her husband don't get it twisted one of the things that we get twisted is we think sometimes that the bible is saying that god loves his church like a man loves his wife but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible does not say, if you want to know how a man loves his wife, or how, how God loves the church, look at how a man loves his wife. If we did that, then we would be instructing God. No, no. The Bible says that a man ought to love his wife as Christ loved the church. So it's Christ who is the teacher. It's his example that we are to emulate. He provides the example, not us. What are some of the sacrifices then that Christ made 
for his bride, the church. Don't get it twisted. Men, let us love our wives as Christ loved the church. I remember reading also an article as I was preparing this message, and it's a great illustration. There was a man who'd been married for about 25 years, and he had a uh, picture that he wanted to show his friends. He was just all excited, and what he did, he said, I'm going to show you something. I want to show you my bride. And everyone was just so sure he was going to show a picture of himself and his wife at the altar on the day of their marriage. But that's not what he showed. He reached into his billfold and pulled out a picture of his wife, now in her late 60s, having been married more than 25 years. And he said, this is my bride. And isn't she lovely? His love for his wife had not diminished, even though they'd been married for more than 25 years. He still called her his bride. What we find in Ephesians is that the bride does not make herself presentable. It is the bridegroom who labors to beautify her, to present her to himself. Look at what the text says. Husband, verse 25, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such things, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own body. In the biblical model, it's not the wife who is making herself ready for the groom. It's the groom who is making his bride ready for him. It's the husband who's giving. It's the husband who's sacrificing. It's the husband who's doing everything that he can to present his bride to himself without spot and without wrinkle. Don't get it twisted. You know, in today's society, the marriage or the wedding rather seems to focus on the bride. The bride runs around and finds the right dress. The bride wants the right color scheme. The bride wants to make sure that there's the right music, the right uh, setting, and all of that's good. But the biblical model is that it's the husband who goes through all of those uh, exercises to ensure that everything his bride needs and wants, she has at her disposal. Marriage on earth should be a picture of heaven. The human relationship or the institution that we call marriage was designed by God to be a reflection of his relationship with his church. My hope and my prayer 
is that when my time on earth is over, that people will be able to look back. Not so much to say, well, how did Pastor Montgomery die? No, don't ask how I died, but ask how I lived. Not how did he die, but how did he live? Not what did he gain, but what did he give? These are the units to measure the worth of a man as a man regardless of birth. Not what was his church or what was his creed, but what had he befriended those really in need? Was he ever ready with word of good cheer to make a smile or to banish a tear? Not what did he sketch in the newspapers say, but how many were sorry when he passed away? Not how did he die, but how did he live? God wants us to live sacrificially before him. And in the marital relationship, he wants the husband to make these sacrifices for the bride. This is the biblical picture of marriage. It's not the earthly picture. It's not the world's picture. Don't get it twisted. I also read about a place that was renting wedding rings. They said wedding bands for rent. And I thought that was quite odd. And the reason that they were for rent is that no one anticipated staying in the relationship until death separated them. In our society today, we enter into marriage that way. We enter into it with the idea that if it doesn't go my way, I'm out of here. If you don't do what I want, I'm out of here. But that's not God's intention for marriage. How does Christ love the church? Well, the Bible says he gave his life for the church. The Bible says God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I hope today that our men, our husbands, our young men who may be looking to get married, and even those who may be widowed and looking for another opportunity to be married, will heed the words of our text today. Marriage, from God's intention and from God's design, is that the husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. That means then that his love does not depend upon her love for him. These are some profound statements that I want to make today. In the biblical model of marriage, the husband's love is not dependent upon the wife's love for him. Under God's design, the Bible says, whoso finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor of the Lord. Proverbs 18.22 Christ honors wives by using them to describe the glories of heaven. He calls it the, the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven as, as a bride prepared or adorned for her husband. Our marriages should reflect the image of God 
to honor our wife is to communicate the same value to her that God communicates to his church. The husband does not fashion his love for his wife on the basis of what she does or doesn't do for him. Don't get it twisted. So the message today, brothers, is directed toward husbands. As the head of the family, a man should provide, not just for himself, but for his entire household. It's not the wife's responsibility. She can help. But the biblical model is that the man, the husband, provides for the wife, not the wife for the husband. Paul presents another responsibility of husbands. He says in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, 1 Timothy 5, verse 8, but if any provide not for his own, especially for those of his own household, he had denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. A man that will not provide for his family, that will not provide for the very people in his own household, has denied the faith. He's not saved. He's not living according to the scriptures. And he's worse than an infidel. An infidel is the one that has no fear of God. Some husbands tend to neglect their God-given responsibilities. Instead of providing for the wife and family, they sit back and wait for the wife to provide for them. They flip the channel on the television with the remote controls. They sit back and allow the wife to take care of the children, raise the children, discipline the children. And all they do is go to football games, watch sports on television, and the wife is left alone struggling with the care of the children. Don't get it twisted. This is not the biblical model. The biblical model is that the husband will provide for his family, for his wife, for his children, and for everyone inside his household. Our love for our wives should model how Christ loved the church. Now, let me be clear also, lest you be confused. When the preacher preaches the word of God, that word that he preaches comes back to him as well. And as I looked at this text today, and as I pondered over it, I saw many errors in my own life where I can do better. I saw many areas in my own life where I got it twisted. I saw many areas in my own life where I should have read the manual. But no, I was going off of what I thought, what sounded good to me, what felt good, what was popular. But we must overcome our self-centered nature. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Christ gave himself for the church that he might sanctify her, 
that he might cleanse her by the washing of the water with the word, that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot, without wrinkle, or any such thing, holy and blameless. This is the picture of marriage from God's perspective. It is a mystery. It is a very high standard. And many of us fail to meet the standard because we don't read the manual. If you happen to be one today who is considering marriage, or if you are one who is already in this institution, I urge you today, go back and read the manual. Read the instruction book. Read the guidance and guidelines that God has ordained for marriage. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, God gave a commandment to Adam. He said, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. God commanded Adam to take charge of his home. He said these things to Adam. He said these things even before Eve had even been created. Because God intended for the husband to be the leader in his home. And then later on in Genesis 2 verse 18, the Lord said it's not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper, fit or suitable, or as the King James translation puts it, meet or appropriate for him. The Apostle Paul put it bluntly when he said that the woman was created for the man and not the man for the woman. According to God's own design, man needed companionship. It was not good, God said, that the man should be alone. I'm going to make someone that will be suitable and appropriate for him, someone to complete him. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh and she shall be called woman. Another insight the Lord gave me, and it knocked me off my feet. But I want to read it to you. You've heard it. But I believe like many of us, you've gotten it twisted. The Bible says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. In the biblical model of marriage, it is the man who leaves his father and mother. It is the man who breaks away from the nest. It is the man who moves away from the home in which he was raised 
and establishes a new home with himself, his wife, and the children that he will soon parent. Now, this does not mean, as I said, what does the text say? What does the text mean? What does it not say? What does it not mean? It does not mean that a husband forgets about his mother. It doesn't mean that a husband does not care about his father. That's not what it says. That's not what it means. But what it means is that the marriage relationship changes the dynamics. It changes the playing field. It changes the order of things. In the marriage relationship, the husband is placed in the role of leader. And as a leader, he is to be a provider, a protector for the home, for the wife, for the children. The command was given to Adam to lead his family, to protect her. And this is the biblical model. And if your relationship with your wife is built on any model other than this, that's why it's not working. That's why it's so messed up. That's why it's so dysfunctional. We've gotten it twisted. We've turned the word of God upside down. And we've created our own set of standards. When all we need to do is to go back to the manual. The Bible says that Christ is the head of the church. The word head means leader, provider, protector, savior. This is what God expects in marriage. He wants the husband to be the spiritual leader of the home. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. He tells a husband that he must love his wife as Christ loved the church. But before we can do this, we have to understand how Christ loved the church. But Christ loved the church in that he sacrificed for her, in that he gave himself for her, in that he took her back time and time and time again. We live in a world today where divorce is rampant, where divorce is just almost an automatic uh, default mechanism. Wife does something you don't like, divorce her. Husband does something that the wife doesn't like, divorce him. The Bible says that God hates divorce. The Bible says from the beginning it was not so. The picture that we have in the scriptures is that the wife, the bride, was continually failing. And the groom, Christ, was continually forgiving. We see this picture in Israel. We see this picture in Hosea and Gomorrah. We see this picture over and over again. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Christ's life was a life of sacrifice. And the ultimate sacrifice that he made 
was that he gave himself for his wife. Let me ask a question today. It's an obvious question. You don't have to answer it out loud. You don't have to raise your hand. But would you die for your wife? If someone was holding your wife hostage and said, one of you must die, would you die for her? The next question is less obvious, but also true. Will you live for her? The sacrificial love that Christ wants us to have for our wives is that not only will we be willing to die for them, but that we would be willing to live for them. Don't get it twisted. Hebrews 12 and 2 says, Look unto Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Christ endured the cross. He endured the shame. He did this for the joy that was set before him. He knew that there would come a day when he would bring his bride home to be united with him and with his Holy Father. The biblical model of marriage then is that the wife will reverence, respect her husband, but that the husband would love his wife. Demonstrated by his devotion to her out of the fear and admonition of the Lord. Our wives exist, first of all, for God and not for ourselves. That means that the husband needs to be committed to leading her and helping her to come to know the Lord. We have a spiritual role. Ephesians 5, 26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Jesus not only sets us apart to God's purpose, but he also gives us what we need to accomplish those purposes. The Bible says, strive for peace with everyone and for holiness without which no one shall see the Lord. Christ purified his church, the bride. The wife is called to submit to her husband because he is commanded to lead. There is no commandment that says, husbands, make your wives submit. There is no commandment that requires a man to demand submission. Submission is not something that is demanded. It's not something that is commanded. You don't command submission. Submission is something that comes out of a relationship. It comes out of reverence and respect. In conclusion, Paul sums it up. After having said all of these things in verses 22 through 32 of Ephesians 5, he sums it up this way in verse 33. Nevertheless, that every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself. 
and the wife see that she reverence, or the word reverence means respect, her husband. Aretha Franklin, the queen of soul, used to sing a song, R-E-S-P-E-C-T, respect. You remember that song, don't you? I don't know what Aretha had in her mind, and I'm not going to try to interpret what she had in her mind. But Paul sums it up that the wife is to respect her husband. One of the main reasons that marriages break up is that the spouse refuses to submit as wives and the husband refuses to love that's men. Back to the wife, the wife refuses to respect her husband. What does respect mean? Respect doesn't mean you agree with everything. Respect doesn't mean that you like everything. Respect means that you honor and you defer. Not because of who he is. Respect doesn't mean he's better. Respect doesn't mean he's more important. Respect means the position that God has placed him in. In the home, God has placed the husband as the head or the leader of the family. He asked the wives to submit to the husband out of fear and out of admonition and out of respect for the Lord. Being a husband is one of the single and greatest callings that a Christian man can have. But it's a responsibility that we should not take lightly. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Christ sacrificed for the church. Christ gave his life for the church. Christ continually does that even today. He does it intentionally. He does it without grudging. He does it because he wants to present his wife, his bride, to himself without spot and without wrinkle. Don't get it twisted. Don't get it twisted. Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And wives, respect your husband. Chaplain Malcolm, if you will extend the invitation, we would be most grateful.